So last week, we started this mini-series on the presence of God. We said that, really, the entire Bible is connected with this theme of the presence of God. We said that in the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and although he put them in this garden in Eden, what happened in reality is that they were living in God's presence. Eden was simply a, a symbol of a place that was full of God's presence. And in the same way, we said that every single one of us here in this room, we were created for God's presence. Everything that we need in our life, everything that we are looking for and hoping for in our life, it is found in the presence of God. And we said, just like there was a river flowing into Eden and flowing out of Eden, God's plan for our life is that exact picture. He wants to pour this river of life inside of us so that we can experience his abundance of life. At the same time, he wants this river to flow out of us so that we can extend this grace and this mercy to others as well. So we said that that is why we were created, to enjoy God's presence, to live in God's presence. But we also said the reason why we can't experience that on a day-to-day basis because sin separates us from God's presence. We said that that is a big deal because if all that we need in our life is God's presence, then sin separating us from that very presence is a very big deal. And Jesus, when it comes to the New Testament, he is the one who ultimately comes and invites us to his presence. Although in the Old Testament, God constantly pursued people, he invited people into his presence, we see that ultimately Jesus, he is the one who invites us back into God's presence. And the highlight of this, the climax of this idea of God's presence is displayed in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and helps us as New Testament Christians to experience the life that Jesus has to offer. And so that was something that we talked about. And so in today, today's sermon, today's passage, we want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And that might be scary for, for some people because uh, anytime we tackle the topic of the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of mystery around it, a lot of uncertainty around it. If you talk to a fellow Christian and you would talk about God the Father, you would talk about Jesus Christ, most likely you are going to have a good conversation. You're going to agree a lot on a lot of things. You're going to speak on the same terms. You're going you're gonna to have a good time. But when it comes to the topic of the Holy Spirit, we know that even among Christians, there is a lot of diversity. People understand the topic of the Holy Spirit in various ways. There are some people who are all about God's, God's, God's Spirit, all about the Holy Spirit. They love um, supernatural things. They love having these spiritual experiences. Um, they, they associate the work of the Spirit with, with healing, with, with um, uh, all these spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues, which are in the Bible. But they are so fixated on this one idea that, that they are just seeking for just supernatural things. Even for uh, a lot of our, our congregation, sometimes I would hear the phrase, spiritual high. And, and we use that phrase, especially when we come back from a retreat or we're, when we are doing really good uh, spiritually. But if you think about that phrase, that is a really sad phrase. It's like you're high on drugs. Just like you're high on drugs, you're high on the spirit. Like... And, and what happens is when you get high on drugs, I mean, I never experienced it, but like sooner or later, that experience, it goes away. 
And in the same way, like if you are simply spiritually high, then you will hit a spiritual low. And so there's a lot of myths and, and different ideas about the Holy Spirit. And because you might have seen something on TV or on YouTube that whenever there's the work of the Holy Spirit, there is chaos and confusion. Because of that, you're so scared and afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. The other extreme is this, that you just don't talk about the Holy Spirit, that you don't mess with the topic of the Holy Spirit, that, that you neglect and avoid this topic that you think the Holy Spirit is like that crazy uncle in your family, that you know that somehow you are related to this person. At the same time, you, you don't really want to be with this person. It makes you feel uncomfortable. A lot of times, that's how we view the Holy Spirit. We know as a Christian, somehow we are connected to the Holy Spirit, and yet we don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. And then, to be honest, a lot of people are just simply confused, perplexed. Like, I just have no idea Pastor James, what you're talking about, like Holy Spirit, never really heard a sermon on the Holy Spirit, don't know what he's doing. I can talk about God the Father, I can talk about Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit is this, this kind of mysterious being in, in the Bible. But here's the thing, here's the reason why this is so important, our passage today is so important. It's because the Bible makes it very clear that the Christian life is actually impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is essential for, for, for us to, to experience the fullness of the Christian life. And so what we need to do in response to these different positions and opinions about the Holy Spirit is this. We need an accurate understanding of the Holy Spirit, who He is, and we need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what better place to start than from Jesus? Jesus is speaking in today's passage. If you have a copy of your Bible, most likely it is in red. It's letting you know that Right now, Jesus is speaking about this topic. And so in the midst of all the confusion and all the information that there is in the, about the Holy Spirit, we just simply want to listen to Jesus. And that's a good place to start because he should always have the final say. He brings clarity in the midst of confusion. So let's look at this together. And just before we dive into the passage, if I can give you some context, this is right before Jesus is about to die on the cross. He just had this final meal with his disciples, and he, and he kind of dropped the bomb. He said, well, I'm going to go to the cross, by the way, and also after that, I'm going to go to the Father. So I'm no longer going to be with you. And that's big news to the disciples, because for three and a half years, they've been living with Jesus. They left everything to follow Jesus. And now Jesus says, well, I'm going to go and go back to my Father. I'm going home. And they're like, what? what's going on? Like, Jesus, what about us? Like, if you go, what are we supposed to do? And it just doesn't stop there. It says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus speaking to the disciples, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So not only is Jesus saying, I'm going to leave you, he says, you're going to stay here and do the work that I've done. Like, that's a big calling. Like, you're calling me to do the stuff that, that, that you did, teach everyone, like cast out demons in your name, like heal people in your name, like bring your kingdom in a visible way. You're calling me to do all those things, but it doesn't even stop there. It says in verse 12, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus says, not only will you continue the work that I've done as I depart, but you're going to do greater works than these. You're going to do more for me than what I've done in, in this world. And that's a pretty big statement. 
So the disciples are trying to wrap their mind around this statement. Later, Jesus says in John 16, 7, he says, Actually, it is a good thing. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. And so it is in this context, as Jesus has announced his departure, as he has given instructions to carry on the work of the ministry, it is in this context that Jesus begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. And you see the Holy Spirit being mentioned in chapter 14, 15, and 16. So through today's passage, I just simply want to answer three questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? And how can we receive what he has to give? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? And how can I receive what he has to offer? So let's tackle the first question first. Who is the Holy Spirit? First, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. I mean, I already gave it away with all the pronouns that I've been using. But if you notice, whenever Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit, he never uses the impersonal pronoun, it. He always uses the personal pronoun, he. Like he's speaking about the Holy Spirit as, he's, as, as, as if he's a person because he's a person. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit is a type of energy or a type of force. Or some sort of power. No, holy, the Holy Spirit is a person. Look at verse 17. It says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so notice that the pronoun that is being used for the Holy Spirit is the personal pronoun he. The Holy Spirit is a person. And this is why in Romans 15.30 it talks about how the Holy Spirit loves talks about in Ephesians 4.30, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. talks about in Hebrews 10.29, the Holy Spirit can be outraged with all the evil in this world. And so you see that the Holy Spirit is a person that has emotions, but the Holy Spirit is not just a person, but the Holy Spirit is God. That's the second thing that we see. The Holy Spirit, who is he? He's a person, but also he is God. He is God. This is a big deal. Look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, Jesus speaking, I'll ask the Father, and the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So as, as Jesus is about to leave the disciples, he prays and he says, I'm going to ask the Father to send you another helper. Notice that it doesn't say just a helper, but he says another helper. There's two words that can be translated to another uh, the first word is heteros, which means another of a different kind. Allos means another of the same kind. So I, I go to a restaurant, and normally I, I love ordering a, a, a drink, soda, and so I would ask, can I get a Sprite? And after I finish my Sprite, which normally I do, I go through that first cup even before I get my entree, and I ask the waiter, can I get another of the same kind? If I want to say that, I would say allos if I want Coke because I'm just feeling like I want a different drink, then I would say, no, give me heteros. Give me a different kind. Something that's similar, but a, a different kind. And so what's happening in today's passage is the word that is being used when it says another helper, it's the word allos, another of the same kind, which begs the question, if this helper is another of the same kind, who is the original helper? Who is the first helper that Jesus is alluding to? And he's alluding to himself. He's saying that I was the original helper who came from the Father. The Father sent me to this world. It says in 1 John 2, 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate 
with the Father, and that word advocate is the same word that is translated as helper in today's passage. It is uh, parakalotis, and, and you see that this is, is, there's a connection where Jesus, he states that he is the first advocate, the first helper that was given by the Father. And the second helper, the one that's just like Jesus, is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father, just like Jesus was sent by the Father. And he, he's not just this independent being or independent person, but he's doing exactly what Jesus did on this earth. So Jesus is going up, but that's okay, because the Holy Spirit is going to come and do exactly what Jesus has done on this earth. And so that's the incredible promise that we have about the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit, Jesus says, will be with you forever. And that is another clue that you understand that the Holy Spirit is a divine being, that he's going to be with you forever. Just like the Father said that, I'm Emmanuel, I'll be with you. Just like Jesus himself said, I'm God with you, the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. So the Holy Spirit is a person, but he's not just a person. He's a divine person. He is actually God. That's why it is appropriate to say that we worship the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you ever said that, but it's appropriate for us to say uh, we want to pray to the Holy Spirit because just like we pray to the Father and we pray to Jesus, we can pray to the Holy Spirit. But this also means that there's a level of mystery that exists when it comes to the topic of the Holy Spirit. Just like it is hard to wrap your brain around God, who he is and what he's about, it is really difficult to wrap your brain around the topic of the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he's about. In Isaiah 55, 9, God himself actually says this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are, are higher than your thoughts. In other words, what you're thinking and what I'm thinking is completely different. Like, we are worlds apart. And that's a big deal. You know why? That means that you can never understand God within your own box. That you can never make sense of God with your own knowledge and understanding and experience and logic. You know, have you ever tried teaching someone like, you know, maybe music or, or uh, sports? If you ever taught someone before, you know that it is much easier to teach someone when they're a blank slate. When they don't know anything about the music or about the sport, it is much easier to teach that person than to teach someone who has bad habits. Like someone with bad habits, what you have to do is you have to deconstruct everything that they already know and you have to kind of put in good habits. Someone who just doesn't know anything, they're going to absorb everything that you, that you, you teach and they're going to do things properly. You know, a lot of times when I try to teach people maybe music or different things and they kind of have a sense that they have knowledge, what kicks in is pride, right? Because as much as you want to listen and learn because you have previous knowledge, and this happens with Timothy all the time. Like some, some of you guys seen Timothy play the drums, and that's not me, by the way. He's just imitating Justin all the time. And so I'm like, oh, maybe. And people are telling me, you should teach Timothy drums. And, and I'm like, yeah, I'll teach Timothy drums. We have a drum set at home. And so I, was, I had this master plan to teach Timothy drums. And I tried to teach him, and he wouldn't listen. Like he, he already thinks he's the best drummer in the world. Like, like, I'm trying to teach him, hey, this is, this is a cymbal, this is a hi-hat, and, and this is how you play the rhythm. And he's like, no, 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 that's, that, that's not how you do it. Like, let me show you. And that's literally what he says. You know what's happening? It's pride. It's that he, he's caught in his own knowledge, in his own box. And therefore, because he has that, that understanding of his own, he can't receive any new knowledge. And until he lets go of that pride, he will never be able to properly learn 
The drum's not that I'm a great teacher, but at least, you know, he'll be much better than what he is right now. But I think this is what happens with our relationship with God. A lot of us, we are trapped in our own worldview, in our own understanding, and we get frustrated because God does not make sense to us. You know, if God make, makes complete sense to you, if you read the Bible and it's like, man, like it makes complete sense to me, there's something that's wrong. Because God says, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. If you are agreeing fully 100% with God in the first go, then you most likely you have created a God on your own. That the God that you believe is a God that you, are, you have created with your knowledge, with your understanding, instead of trusting God's word and, and, and understanding who God is based on his word, you just form this image of God and you are wanting God to do things that you would want him to do for you. And so humility is something that is so important, even when we tackle the topic of the Holy Spirit, that we need to be humble about, about this topic. We have to come uh, and, 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 and before this, the, the, the feet of God and say, God, I don't know anything about the Holy Spirit, so teach me, like guide me. I mean, I, I, I have some sort of teaching and experience in the past, but I want to learn from your word. Teach me. In James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, both James and Peter mentions this, quoting from the Old Testament, Proverbs 3, 34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You might say, I have an 800 on my SATs. My reading comprehension is like off the charts, honors. Like I'm an English major. Like, and good for you. The thing is, just because you're good with grammar and you can understand passages correctly does not mean you will fully understand the wisdom of God. Because the Bible tells us that there's something else that you need, that you need humility, that you need to be humble. In Proverbs 22, 4, it says, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And so you see the Holy Spirit is, this impersonal, is not this impersonal force uh, that you can control, that you can kind of you know, command to do things. I remember early in my Christian life, that was the picture that I had. You worship God the Father, you love the Son, but the Holy Spirit is like kind of this thing inside of you and, 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 and it empowers you so that you can do things that you want. Like, I'll, I'll pray. Like, I want to pray for healing. Come on, Holy Spirit, help me out here. Like, Holy Spirit, I want to do some miracles. Like, help me out here. Like, it's almost like you're waiting to get bit by a spider like Peter Parker and you're wait, waiting to shoot like, you know, webs out of your hand. That's not what's happening. If the Holy Spirit is a person, that means most likely you can't control the Holy Spirit, especially if he is God. The question when it comes to the Holy Spirit is not how much control do you have over the Holy Spirit. The question is how much control does the Holy Spirit have over you? It's not about you possessing the Holy Spirit, although he lives in you. It's about how much of the Holy Spirit possesses you. That's the difference when you begin to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, but also he is God. And the third thing that we see about the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit is inseparable. You can't separate the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is inseparable with the Father and the Son. Now, we're moving into the theology of the Trinity, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this. Hopefully down the road, we'll have an opportunity to explore more of this. But what the Bible teaches us about God is this. It's it's a little bit confusing, but it's this. So God is three in person, but he's one. And that makes no sense whatsoever, right? Because like in our mind, one plus one plus one equals three. But the Bible says God, he exists in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. At the same time, uh, they're one. They're distinct, but they're one. And I don't know how to explain further um, other than 
you know, what God is, who he is, is a much higher dimension than what we can understand. It's like you're trying to explain a three-dimensional reality with two or one-dimensional language. Have you ever done that before? And you can try to kind of draw a three-dimensional reality on a two-dimensional paper, but you will never fully be able to articulate and portray the three-dimensional reality. You can communicate some things, but you'll never be able to fully communicate the whole picture. The same is true about the Trinity. I think it's one of those mysterious things that is pretty beyond what our understanding, our logic. Um, but one thing that is clear in the Bible is this. Our God is one, Deuteronomy 6, that he, we don't believe in three different gods at the same time. Our God exists in a community. Like, in his being, he's relational. You have God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, although they have three different personalities. They're operating in one unit with one goal in mind. They are working together in creation. They're working together in salvation. They will be there together at the end in Revelation. And so you see the Godhead three in one. And what you can take away from this is, is, is the fact that the Holy Spirit never operates independently. That's what I'm trying to communicate. You can never isolate and try to understand the Holy Spirit, who he is and his work, apart from the Father and the Spirit. Now, there was a time when you know, I was fairly a new Christian. I remember when I was in university, uh, one of, um, well, someone invited me to this, um, this healing ministry. So there was this, this guy who went around different countries, and, and he would pray in the microphone, and, and he, people would be healed. And, and that's a, a conversation for another day. Uh, and so me being really kind of wanting to follow Jesus faithfully, and I see the Bible is talking about the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, you see through the Holy Spirit, crazy things are happening, supernatural things are happening. I still believe if the Holy Spirit is real, then there's no reason why we should think that supernatural things cannot happen at the same time. I do believe that the need that exists in the, in, in the first century in the book of Acts is quite different from what we have right now. We have God's clear word in the Bible. They did not. We have a church that can manifest God's love. They did not, and therefore they needed something extra when it comes to the supernatural the work of the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want to say. When it comes to all the spiritual giftings, the healings, the miracles, um, the manifestations of God's Spirit, just ask this one question if you see something. There's one time a guy was praying, and, and he was praying, and he was praying for the Spirit to fall on the room and, and asking us to look at our hands to see if there's gold dust. And that, he was saying that that was a manifestation of God's spirit. And I'm so confused. I'm looking at my hands. I'm thinking, is that sweat? Or, or is that gold dust that I'm seeing? And so there, are, there is a, a long period of time where I was wrestling with this topic. But I came to realize this. The Holy Spirit never operates on its own. The Holy Spirit will always lead you closer to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, is, if he's God, he's not going to bring confusion in your life. He's going to bring clarity in your life. If you are more confused after some sort of experience, most likely that it was not the Holy Spirit. If you don't fall deeper in love with Jesus after some sort of super spiritual, supernatural experience, most likely that is not from the Holy Spirit. Did you know in the Bible there are cases where demons are operating and empowering people to do supernatural things? Like, the Holy Spirit is not the only one who can do things that are supernatural. What sets the Holy Spirit apart from anyone else is this. The Holy Spirit is devoted to bringing you closer to Jesus Christ. And that's where we move into the work of the Holy Spirit. So we talked about who he is as he's a person, he's God, he's inseparable with the Father and the Son. But what we see in his work is this. So what does the Holy Spirit do? First, he continues the work of Jesus. He continues the work of Jesus. It says in verse 16, 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Have you ever wondered what it would have been like for the disciples to be with Jesus for three years, to see Jesus walk on earth, hear his teaching, see him all do, the, do all the miracles and, 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 and reveal the mystery of God's kingdom? Well, the Bible tells us that we don't have to guess how it would have been like. Because the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, his role is to do exactly what Jesus did on this earth. Just like Jesus helped people understand God and his kingdom and and understand the gospel, the Holy Spirit is working in the same way, helping people. You know, that word helper is translated in various ways in different translations. It is the Greek word paraklete, which can be translated as comforter, counselor, advocate, legal uh, support or defendant, or helper. And the reason why it's translated in so many different ways is because it's such a broad term. And it captures the broad work of the work of Jesus and the work of the Spirit. I think overall what Jesus does is he comforts us. In the midst of a storm, Jesus was the one who brought peace, great peace. The first thing that Jesus said after, after he, he, he defeated the cross and he rose from the dead is that peace be with you. That he came to comfort us to, from our anxieties, from our worries. He is the ultimate comforter. But also, he is the ultimate wonderful counselor. When we don't know where to go or what to do, he's the one who guides us and leads us. Not only does he always know the answer, but he knows what's going on in our heart. And that's what good counselors do. In the same way, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. He knows what's going on in our heart, and he knows how to lead us to what is right. We have an advocate in the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus is our advocate as well. That he's the one who legally defends us before the throne of God, the Father, before even the enemy who is the accuser, according to Revelation 12. That when sin is overwhelming, when you feel like you're not good enough before God, when you feel dirty and, and, and you, you have nothing worthy before the Lord, it is the Holy Spirit that stands up and says, look at Jesus. It is Jesus who says, look at what I've done on the cross. I pay the price I died for this person's sin, so now this person is not living in condemnation. This person is free to go. You have a legal advocate in the Holy Spirit living in you, and then you have this incredible helper. Paraclete is a compound word. Para means along. Clete means to speak, and so if you put those things together, the Holy Spirit is basically someone who is speaking life into you as they are walking with you. And so the Holy Spirit is engaging in all these different activities, but if you look at it, He's not doing anything special. He's doing exactly what Jesus has done on this earth when he was here walking with the disciples for three and a half years. So the Holy Spirit empowers us in a way that we can do the work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit continues the work of Jesus. Now, you might ask the question, then why do we need the Holy Spirit if he's pretty much the same as Jesus? Why did Jesus go up and the Holy Spirit come down? There's one foundational difference between the work that Jesus did on earth and the work that Holy Spirit is doing right now. Jesus on earth, he was limited in space. He was limited in time. He was with the disciples. The Holy Spirit is not limited in space. He's not limited in time. He's not dwelling in the disciples. That's the biggest difference. That through three and a half years, Jesus was able to minister to 12 people. The Holy Spirit is abiding in every Christian right now, leading and guiding them. And so that's why Jesus is confidently saying, no, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be able to do more work than me, which is true. Jesus, at the end, he tried to make disciples and he failed with one. 
But right now, you have church in every corner, pretty much. You have disciples after disciples following Jesus. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit, carrying the work of Jesus. But number two, when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, not only does he continue the work of Jesus, he leads us to Jesus by revealing God's word to us. The Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus by revealing God's word to us. The Holy Spirit is always connected to this idea with truth. It says in verse 17, even the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit's nickname is the truth, the spirit of truth. In verse 26, it talks about how the helper, we see that word one more time, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, not just some things, but the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It says in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes to you, he will guide you into all truth. Everything that you need to know about life, everything that is real and true, everything that you need to know about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and guides us and leads us so that we can see this truth. And you know why this is so important? It's because apart from truth, there is no faith. Romans 10, 17, Paul says that, so faith comes through hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. And if you don't understand the word of Christ, if you don't comprehend the word of Christ, then there is no faith. You cannot become a believer apart from the work, the revealing work of the Spirit. You cannot become a believer until the Holy Spirit shows you who Jesus is really like. And you might say, well, I have a pretty good understanding of who Jesus is. I can read. I know a couple stories that I learned uh, in Sunday school. Like, I, I know who Jesus is. Well, um, I forgot to bring it, but I have a pair of glasses, and uh, I have it because my eyesight is pretty bad. My eyesight is negative 10.5 uh, when I checked a month ago. Uh, I, I have hope, actually, because it's getting better. Uh, I, it, it, yeah, and so um, I have a long way to go, but it's getting better. Uh, but when I get, go home, I take off my lens, contact lens, and I normally have... Uh, uh, my glasses, and I'm too shameful to, to wear it in public because it makes my eyes look so small, right? Um, and I can tell you the glasses, uh, they're really thick. Uh, they're black, uh, and um, they're pretty light. Uh, and I can explain everything about these glasses. I can bring them to you, and you can see them. Uh, but the beauty of glasses is not that you just are able to look at what it looks like. The beauty of glasses is when you put those glasses on, it changes everything that you see. A lot of people are viewing the Bible as if a glass is sitting right here, that you see God's word, you kind of know what's going on and some, a couple things about God's word. But the beauty of God's word is this. When you understand God's word through the help of the Holy Spirit, not only do you see God's word, you begin to see everything else through God's word. That's when you know that the Spirit is working in you. When the Spirit is working in you, not only do you understand stories about God's word, it becomes personal, it becomes convicting. Now it becomes your story, and you begin to see your relationships in a completely different way, your career in a completely different way, your children in a completely different way, your, your marriage in a completely different way, everything that you do in a completely different way. Why? Because the Spirit of God helps you see the Son of God through the clear declaration of the Word of God, and that's what the Spirit of God does. Not only does the Spirit of God continue to do the work of Jesus, but He leads us to Jesus by revealing to us what is true in God's word. And so the last question that I want to answer is this. Okay, now that we know who the Spirit is and what he does, the question now that remains is, how can I receive the incredible things that the Spirit has to offer? How can I receive the gifts of the Spirit? And it says in verse 17, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So notice there's a clear distinction between the world and the disciples. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Not everyone has the Holy Spirit in them. Now God's presence is everywhere, but having the Holy Spirit in them, that is not for the world. It is only for the disciples, for the true believers. But also notice what it says to the disciples. It says this, you, at this point, remember this is before the cross, disciples, you know him, so you're aware of him. He dwells with you, so he's kind of next to you, but he will be in you. Notice that all of a sudden it changes to future tense, right? Present, present, and then future. You know him right now. He's with you right now, but one day he will be in you. And that day we see in, in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit falls in, in, in power and and when they really be empowered by, by the gospel, they begin to experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about down the road. But notice that in order for you to experience the life that the Spirit has to offer, you first have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't make sense that you would have or want the Spirit if you don't want the life of Jesus because the Spirit of God is all about Jesus. He's carrying the work of Jesus he is pointing you to Jesus. What else do you want him to do? If you don't want Jesus, most likely you are not going to want the Holy Spirit. No, I think when it comes to this topic, it becomes really, really personal. God the Father is up there. Jesus lived in past in history. But we know for a believer, the Holy Spirit is living in us. And that makes us very, very uncomfortable. It's like you have a roommate for life. Someone that you, is always going to be with you who's always going to speak to you. Notice that that word, helper, it was a word, someone who speaks next to you, constantly talking. And this person is always right. Like, you can never fight against the Holy Spirit. Like, you can't even have an argument because, like, he's always right, always true. And he's constantly talking to you. And that's what makes Christianity pretty uncomfortable because you're a sinful being, and yet the Holy Spirit lives in your life and is constantly speaking truth and life in your life, leading you to be more like Christ, pushing you to be more holy. He's trying to set you apart for God's glory. And so you have this eternal roommate who is with you, but the glorious truth is this, that he's not just trying to make your life miserable. He's trying to accomplish God's will in, for your life, which was to fill you with his presence so that you can share his presence with everyone else. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. If you read Romans 8, 28 and 29, God says, there's a predestined plan that I have for my people. And what is that plan? It is to... It is for people to be more like my son, to, to be created and more like his image. Like that's, that's, that's his ultimate purpose is to, to shape us and mold us so that we would look like the Father, so that we would look like Jesus. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. That is his ultimate goal. And so the question is, when you are praying about the Holy Spirit, it's not simply do you want this kind of zap in your life to do certain things in your life. The question is this, do you really want to follow Jesus in your life? If so, the Holy Spirit is inviting you to do so. The Holy Spirit, just like Jesus asked the disciples back in the Gospels, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Some people followed, some people said, no, thank you. The rich young man, because he had so much possession, said, no, thank you. He went, walked away sorrowfully because he wasn't willing to let go of what he had. Remember, before the Lord, what we really need is not simply intellectual knowledge. It's humility. Simply saying, God, you are God, and I need you. My understanding is pretty limited, 
my experience is pretty limited, so God help me. Help me to understand the mystery of your gospel, of your son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is right there to help you. Not just for you to process these things, but to lead you so that you would make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. So the ultimate question I want to ask you is this. Do you want to follow Jesus? If so, God is inviting you to receive the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit through his Son. Amen? Let's pray.